0: Hello and welcome to Minta Dialogue number 60. This interview is with Doug Hewitt, who is the co-founder, along with Brooke Calverly, and managing director at PeopleMade, a brand consultancy at the cross-section of brand, culture, and social. Doug comes from a strong background in branding via the Engage Group and then at Interbrand. Doug and I share a number of common passions and connections. In this podcast, we discuss the challenges faced with organizations in becoming social businesses, including the pitfalls and roadblocks of making the necessary transformation. A vital topic, and I hope you'll find a vibrant conversation for anyone interested in branding. Please enjoy. Welcome to the Minted Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to quick. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show. Today I'm in London and I'm in a very wonderful space in the basement of a, of a great place in uh, London with someone who I met thanks to a great friend from uh, my days at L'Oreal, Celica. Thanks, Sarlika. So, Doug, tell us uh, who you are and uh, what you're up to.
1: Hello. Um, very good to meet you, uh, <laughs> everyone on the podcast. Yes, uh, so we're at People Made here, and this is our headquarters in Old Street. A um, bit about my background. I, um, I came recently from Interbrand, uh, and before that, I was a partner at a employee engagement um, consultancy called Engage Group. So uh, recently, just started up. We're very new. January, in fact. Um, we've got a good couple of clients that we're working with already. I'm um, sure we'll talk about in a moment. Mm-hmm. Barclays, Converse, and others. Um, but life's good. Enjoying ourselves.
0: Good. So um, tell us about People Made. What's the inspiration for making it happen?
1: Okay. Well, you're going to have to stop me here because I might go on a bit. Um, it was born out of actually, um, as are most things I think which are creative, a frustration. And Brooke and I, Brooke's uh, my kind of business partner who's also a co founder here at PeopleMade. The frustration from outside was, you know, being in a career, I think, in branding where there's far too much said and far too many promises made to consumers but also to employees. And we found that a lot of this was both on the internal side of things within businesses mm-hmm. and this massive change in the way that people are starting to kind of, you know, operate and their expectations of what a business is like, but also externally in terms of customers, so their expectations of brands and service and actually what good looked like. And we shared that frustration and i think for us the brand is what the brand does so we set up people made with a very clear mission and that is to create more open more authentic brands mm-hmm. brands that actually do things the way that they say they will. So brands that keep their promises.
0: Right. And I totally get that. So the frustration before, you know, seeing the writing on the wall, but actually, you know, where is this actually happening within the organization? So, um, when, when we look at today's frustrations, don't you, well, what's it, what's made us have these changes today is because I mean, these writings on the walls have always been existed, mission statements, glorious, you know, they've always been there, but why is the frustration now so much more apparent?
1: Well, I think um, a lot of this seems quite obvious, but when we look back five years, I mean, ten years, but I would say just five, you know, you could do... Social media, digital, um, what we call the social age of transparency has changed everything. We're living in a totally different age now where those expectations have come from the ability to truly be global to, you know, if you look at something like the Arab Spring and, you know, really that's a behavioral change. That's a kind of a big shift in the way that we can communicate with one another. We can interact with one another and we can share things. Things like TripAdvisor mean that, you know, now you would trust an absolute stranger Um, over a corporate website so I think branding has really shifted and a lot of that may seem obvious but I think that when you get to uh, the place that we are and you start to consider service you start to consider um, what it's like internally so a brand culture um, it has a really profound impact Um, and I think that More than all of that, really, it comes from people wanting something that's genuine and wanting a bit more meaning. So perhaps we're in a world or an age now where people are looking for more purpose uh, and perhaps purpose over profit. Mm
0: -hmm. All right, so I'm in an organization. You could take it through a concrete case if you have one you'd like to share where we, we've got our mission statement, we spend lots yes. of time creating it. But how do you actually make that happen? What are the the keys to actually going from a a statement on a wall mm. to making that brand happen within you know the action as you're saying?
1: And I think a lot of this comes from um, you know both my experience into brand but also Brooks experience at calling brands. Um, we share a belief that actually branding and brand consultancy is actually a lot closer to business consultancy. So brand and business for us are totally uh, together and should Mm -hmm. be aligned. So really taking it from the very top, you've got a business strategy which needs to align with your brand strategy. And Mm -hmm. in many ways, it's a a wonderful story to tell, an easier story to tell than your business strategy, I would say, Mm -hmm. for your people. In terms of that alignment then, how you embed that into the business, I think that's where you know, we sometimes use horrible terms like plumbing or, you know, uh, but embedding is probably a better word. How that starts to happen is through all of your different departments. So you could look at things like business decision making, you know, in terms of something like procurement, um, you know, a good example of that might be, um, I remember when British Airways were going through their big to fly to serve change. Um, You know, this was an interbrand, but they looked particularly at their procurement practices, and whether they're on-brand or off-brand. So the brand becomes a filter, if you like, for the decisions that people are, are making uh, and how they're making those. And that starts to then guide the business towards its strategy and towards uh, you know building, if you will, that brand and making sure that, that it, it is a filter that guides every part of it. So... Beyond that, obviously, you know, HR departments, so reward and recognition, through to things like innovation or product design. or It starts to touch everything, really. So there's no stone left unturned. I think that that's what I really love about this, that it's genuinely our work is, um, is quite broad in its, in its right. scope. Uh, and it's much closer to, I'd say, business management, management consultancy than. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, what, what, what strikes you, me, about what you're saying is, is well, so the branding can infiltrate like water into every space, and I, I completely agree with that. And I mean, I love that thought. That's why we're so we're hooked up. But one of the challenges that I've seen is, you know, you mentioned profit. Well, kind of, we do need to get to profit. So, what kinds of businesses can? Uh will not look at purpose over profit, mm-hmm. and maybe the second part of that is how do you get to create purpose if your CEO doesn't buy in so in other words, <laughs> you know yeah. it's very important that the, that alignment actually gets en- enacted at the very top.
1: Okay. Well, they're very good questions. Very good questions indeed. Um, First of all, I'd take the ones that uh, aren't interested in purpose and looking at profit. So, I mean, uh, apologies to anyone out there who works for Goldman Sachs. But if I take that as as an example, um, actually one could say that Goldman Sachs has a very clear purpose. It just so happens that it is entirely driven around making money and around kind of um, you know, a very clear bonus culture and so on, high-performing. Um, there are a lot of wonderful examples, actually, as much as I hate to say it. Um, there's some wonderful examples of Goldman Sachs being a very, very strong culture. It's very clear about what it stands for. Um, it's deadly consistent with that. Um, you know what you're getting yourself in for. So actually, in that sense, it's got a wonderfully strong employer brand. Um, in terms of, you know, looking broader than that, one might have you know, ordinarily said that banking is a sector where um, people are looking at profit over purpose. Where everyone looks like a mercenary. It, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. But, it, you know, in many ways, that is changing. So I think what's really interesting for us, um, and this is particularly with some of our work with Barclays, is that we're finding that, you know, brands and businesses like Barclays are being forced to change by, you know, this kind of social age, by this the consumer expectations, And, you know, if you look at, for example, Barclays, very, very clear decision to close down their profit-making tax avoidance, tax evasion um, kind Mm. of, you know, unit Mm – what you've got there is, I think, a brand who is really standing up for its values yeah, the ethics. And, and saying this is what we believe in. Uh, and in order to be credible, we have to show that we live by those. So, again, this is where I come back to the brand is what the brand does. You know, the very, very clear actions that are being taken. These are difficult actions. And so if I give another example, Patagonia, which is, you know, the outdoor um, manufacturer, outdoor great, kind great. of clothes, yeah, fantastic brand. Um, you know, a, a great example there is when everyone else after Thanksgiving is thinking about going out and doing their kind of sales shopping, they run a big Ad campaign um, through the line as well as above the line, saying, "Look, you know, actually, don't go out there and buy stuff. Think about what you're buying. Do you really need more, um, more things? You know, what's it doing to our planet?" Now, a lot of people might say, "Look, this is just a really cynical way of of actually kind of getting their name out there." But I disagree. Actually, I think this is purpose in action because straight after that, you could see Patagonia doing really interesting things like pushing their second hand uh, or the second hand sales of their products on eBay. So what they're essentially doing is going, look, we don't mind um, you know foregoing some of that revenue. In fact, we're happy for other people to take that and for people not to come in to buy as many clothes because we want to do something that lives by our values. You know, we don't actually want people to come out here and, and, and kind of buy more clothes unnecessarily buy one or two good quality things that last forever. Mm-hmm. So again I think short term OK, maybe they're missing out on some revenue. Mm-hmm. But long term, the value is there in terms of building brand value and equity, but also being very, very clear about what they stand for. And, you know, when you actually look at their, um, their growth and their success, yes, absolutely. Patagonia have got all the plaudits and people are flocking to buy the stuff there because their brand is very strong and what they stand for is very strong.
0: All right, so going back to the other question, which I'd thrown in the mix before, which is yeah. the CEO story. So how can one do this or, or how important, should I put it in another way, is the CEO's commitment to this mm-hmm. idea and living it him or herself yeah. in order to make it real?
1: Oh, it goes out saying, you know, that it's absolutely crucial. You know, not just the CEO, but the whole of the leadership suite. Um, You know, role modeling, living by example, um, you know, a lot of, uh, as I'm sure you're well aware, the storytelling type of culture that, uh, you know, people are are, are kind of embedding into business now. It's all crucial. Um, But actually, it's more than that. For me, it's kind of leaders at every level because what you're really looking at is a a, a kind of an end of the top-down hierarchy way of engaging people and really uh, the beginnings of a much more socially orientated um, almost an external becoming internal now people thinking about viral change um, leaders at every level being about people who are advocates who believe very very strongly but also can influence others um, so you know it's a much more natural it's, it's a longer process but it's much more organic it's much more natural it's vital. So in many ways, what we're seeing externally in, in the kind of consumer environment, even in the political environment, um, when I mentioned the Arab Spring, you know, we're seeing that start to translate into the way that people are or the way that businesses are starting to work internally.
0: One of the things that I like to see is the ability for the people in the organization to push back when the the, the near termness starts creeping back in mm, mm. because there's always that pressure you got to get results. Yes. And oh well, you know, B, let's cut a corner. And and just so on the one hand is uh, you know, how do you facilitate that kind of a culture where everyone participates in so it's not just the boss says so. And then B the other thought is well, as an external consultant as you and I are, how can we help push back to a CEO and at
1: them when when the short-term philosophy starts creeping back yes. in? How do we push back? Yeah, good question. Um, well, I think in terms of the first thing, how you know, the assumption, I think, that you have to get everyone on board. Um, a little bit controversial, perhaps, but I would say that it isn't always the case that you need to start by thinking about everybody. Sometimes you just need to start uh, you know, thinking about the ones who are high influencers and highly engaged already and building from that core. So rather than actually looking at people by hierarchy, I'd say it's really interesting to start to look at your audience by attitude you know there may be some people who are detractors very influential but very negative Mm -hmm. Um, they may be the people that you focus on first to make sure that you involve them and you engage them but there's a very different approach I would say to those detractors. To the kind of approach that you would take to the very positive you know, the ambassadors if you mm-hmm. will highly influential but also very very positive mm-hmm. and then there's a whole group of people who may have very little influence at all and i think in this kind of social age where we understand that peer-to-peer word of mouth is absolutely crucial um, it may well be that they are your second or even your third tier in terms of your target audience group so you know Simple uh, answer to all of that, I guess, you know, there are many, many different techniques. um, But I would say, you you know, start small. uh, And in terms of leadership and and, in trying to get everybody on side, role modeling, living the behaviors, but then almost making sure that it is part of your reward and recognition scheme. You know, far too many businesses I've seen, um, you know, that I've either worked with or come across, Expect a brand and expect a culture to happen just by having posters up just by a leader getting up and doing a speech. The reality is that you know we all get measured um, and we all have personal development plans every single year which are pushing us towards certain goals. Align those goals with the kind of behaviors you want to see mm-hmm. and that 's the best way of making sure that all of your people are pulling in the same direction right, so when I I hear you
0: completely, and I think of different corporate identities that have baskets of products underneath them, or yes. brands. Yeah. So I'm going to say one to make it easy, L'Oreal, okay. where they have a commercial brand as well as a corporate yes. name. Yeah. Then you have Procter & Gamble, which doesn't exist as a as a consumer brand, but mm. has a basket underneath it. Yeah. How does one? create brand identities that are linked to this corporate one or not how do you how do you navigate in this mm. world
1: and create- uh, it's a good question I think that you know this really is into the world of brand architecture and it's very important not just externally so that I think <laughs> that your consumers are very clear on where you stand um, but also internally it's very very important because I think that your decision around brand architecture you know whether you are a house of brands or whether you allow much more scope for individual brands um, will uh, play a very big part in the way that uh, each of your independent brands will operate, will behave and how much scope and freedom you give them is, is a very interesting question I think for a lot of uh, big brand owners the corporate brand versus the kind of consumer facing brand, mm-hmm. I've come across quite a few times and with you know, when you were an in interbrand with interbrand, uh, with engage group, a few different times and in fact I mean, even now, you know, we're working with Converse and we see, um, you know, Nike being their big parent owner. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Converse have a very particular flavor, a very particular brand and way of doing things. Um, you know, Nike obviously can bring a lot to that, but at the same time, um, you know, what is the distinction between the two? What are the benefits? Uh, and also, what are the kind of, uh, the, the things that you perhaps don't want to bring across? Mm-hmm. So, um, Brand architecture, very complex, but also a very worthwhile endeavor. Um, And, yeah, I think that bigger than that, you know, being very, very clear, uh, not just at a kind of brand level, but at a big global level. I mean, I've often seen, if you take something like employer brand, so, you know, we're not just talking about recruitment uh, now and identity, but, you know, the employee experience internally. So everything from induction through to learning and development. I've often seen that, you know, that is the opportunity to really start to dial up the bigger corporate brand, mm-hmm. you know, the bigger global perspective. Mm-hmm. That is the kind of the benefit of working in a large organization, you know, economies of scale, but also actually there's lots of opportunities here to move to different countries, different roles, mm-hmm. to work with different, learn from different people. Mm-hmm. We had exactly this experience with O2 Telefonica and we worked with them when they had the takeover. Right. You know, O2 learning a lot from their Brazilian counterpart. Mm -hmm. Telefonica, and so on. And so, you know, not only from Spain, Brazil, other different areas, how can you take these great ideas that work in different countries and adapt them? Mm -hmm. So that, I think, once you get into the internal space, there's much more freedom to start to talk about the global perspective. From a consumer point of view my own view keep it simple you know consumers really don't always want to know that whole backstory they're just interested in a very sharp focus why is this interesting for me what does this brand stand for and actually what is it promising and does it keep that promise
0: yeah i think the the issue there is making it simple but uh, related or coherent with what's the, what the employees are living. Absolutely. So I want to go back to one other point, which is when you're talking about Barclays. You know, a lot of the times I get this conversation about, well, you know, social media and the use of it for financial institutions and services. Oh, gosh, you know, they're not interested in Facebook. All right. Perhaps. And it seems to me that the opportunity in social is even more pregnant When we talk about financial services, talk to me about what you think there.
1: It is, and you know, I think one of the things you mentioned there is a very big common misconception. I'm sure that everyone listening to this podcast, you know, they're not part of that group. But Facebook, Twitter, you know, social media being pigeonholed in those kind of areas, I think, is something that we really need to change. You know, as people who are talking and working in social media, believing in digital, um, you know, this is this is a big issue that even though. we feel like this is crazy that people are even thinking that Um, we do still have to challenge and i would say social and uh you know behaving in a social kind of way so let's just take something like social business these elements are the things that we need to focus on so for something like a bank like barclays um i know that um you know they are investing a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of effort in uh, social collaborative systems internally mm-hmm. so that their teams can start to share knowledge. You know, I've worked with many law firms that have done similar kind of things. Mm-hmm. So Actually, there are brands that you wouldn't expect or perhaps aren't great on Facebook or you wouldn't expect them to be so good on social media, but they're actually quite far ahead in terms of thinking internally about collaborative ways of working, You know, everything from wikis through to video uh, sharing to knowledge sharing and so on so Actually, I think let's broaden the conversation about social media. Let's broaden the conversation about social. And I prefer that term, just social. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's also include things that are offline. Let's include social behaviour, you know, collaborative behaviour, innovation, culture, those kinds of things. So let's just take what is, if you like, um, you know, not just a current trend. Let's, let's break that idea. Let's talk about the way or the age uh, of social and the way that we're behaving and translate that into kind of business behavior and ways of working.
0: All right. Well, listen, Doug, it's obviously a conversation we could go on for many moons on, I think. But anyway, I hope uh, it's been of interest uh, for people listening. Doug, can
1: you tell us uh, how people can reach you, follow you, track you if they want to continue the conversation? Absolutely. Um, and just to say, you know, thank you for this, but also that i uh, very interested to share ideas or stories with like-minded people so if there is anyone out there that wants to kind of get in touch please do so you know lovely to meet Um, you can go to our website www.peoplemade.com it's people-made or follow us on twitter so it's at wearepeoplemade but look forward to talking to you uh, in the future anyone out there Uh, and Minter thanks again my pleasure Thanks.
0: thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue internet show You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please rate it in iTunes, and don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or to tweet it out. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset, or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails.